the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 880 for Monday, July 12th, 2021. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We take all of that stuff, we mash it together, try to string it into an agenda that we loosely follow. The point being, the goal being, that each and every one of us learns at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include ladderlife.com slash mgg. Amazon.com slash MGGRX for Amazon Pharmacy. Of course, ladder life insurance on the on the uh, on the prior one. And then Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash MGG, where you get $100 in free credit just for being a Mac Geek Cab listener to get started. We'll talk more in depth about each of those a little bit later here. For now, as usual, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. I think John's John was go. muted. Unmuted. And, that's right. <laughs> and here in flood-prone Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. You're not really flood-prone. Oh, man, easy for you to say. You're not really flood-prone, are you? I mean, I realize that... I got a weather alert. Sure, but you don't get those all the time, right? Like, that's not a, a routine. It's rare. Okay, good. All right, that's good. I didn't want to worry about you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like if we're supposed to worry about you, then yes, wanted to. I just wanted to know. I wanted to calibrate. So we'll worry mm-hmm. about you today. Hopefully, uh, things pass. This is a uh, Hurricane Emma that we're seeing. Do I have the name right in my head? I think that's uh, I right. Think so yeah. Uh, all right, because we record this on on Friday, so we're recording this on the Friday the ninth before the twelfth. All right. Uh, I I am eager to get to our quick tips, John, because Ben has one that solves a long-standing problem that I've had. And Ben says, on a couple of occasions, including this past week's show, you commented that Do Not Disturb is permanent in Big Sur when you option-click the clock to turn it on. In prior OSs, it was not permanent. It was semi-permanent. It would last for 24 hours and then turn itself off. That's not the case in Big Sur. And so I found myself, uh, Ben's right, you know, with it on for days. He says, however, if you have do not disturb scheduled during certain hours, this will cause it to expire at the end of the next scheduled period. For example, Ben says, I have D&D scheduled for 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. So if I option click the clock, do not disturb gets enabled immediately, but only until the next occurrence of 7 a.m., at which point. It gets disabled and this is he's totally right. And this follows the same sort of uh, logical flow that you get in iOS and iPadOS with do not disturb. Uh, So I get why Apple did this. I wish they had. I don't know. I wish they'd communicated, but that's why we do this show. Right. So we can learn these things. But you do this in system preferences, notifications. Uh, Do not disturb is the first thing at the top of that list. And you can, of course, have it turn on. Do not disturb now. I don't necessarily want do not disturb on in the middle of the night if I'm here working or tracking things in the studio or whatever. So I don't want it on from 11 to seven, but 
I took this and made one more step. I set it to turn on at 6.59 a.m. and turn off at 7 a.m. So it really is never on automatically, uh, but it then also turns itself off. You can't have it turn off automatically without turning it on. So you have to set an on time. But if uh, if you want to do that to just one minute, it works great. So finally, I can have do not disturb. It's it's weird. I don't know why I didn't think about this I, earlier this week. I, I, I was thinking about this problem, I, I guess, because it came up in last week's show, John. And uh, and I was thinking, oh, I wonder if there's a way with keyboard maestro that I could script it to, you know, at 7 a.m. every day, turn off, do not disturb. And now I, I think I've I've found a better solution because it's baked into the OS, even though I have to have it on for a full minute. Uh, I think I'll I think I'll live. So thank you for that, Ben. That's um, super helpful. That's the beauty of these quick tips. Like, I feel like I've learned all five things already. I haven't, though. So I got it. We got to stick. Okay. With it. We Bye. can't. No, we can't bail. I haven't actually learned five things. Only only the one. You want to take us to the next one, John? See if we can get uh, to those five. All right, so we got one from uh, David here. He uh, found an article from uh, our friends over at Mac Rumors. Um, Apple in iOS 15 is adding new separation alerts to the Find My app, which will let you know if you leave an Apple device, a device attached to an AirTag, or a Find My enabled third-party device behind. Okay, that's cool. It it is cool. I that I like that. That's pretty good, man. What a nice yeah. thing to know. I've also noticed with the um, with my AirTags, they've uh, the, uh, the firmware is newer. Oh, interesting! Just magically updated. Yeah, it, it, I, I was surprised. You know, I went you know in the Find My app, and then if you go to um, you know the screen for the device and uh, yeah, and tap on it, it gives you the serial number in the firmware version, and I just noticed that it had updated at some point on all of mine. So interesting. Huh? All right. Well, cool. I, I mean, that's, that's great. Cool. I like that. Sneaky. But... No, those separation alerts. I've always wanted my, um, tile to do that. And it never would, even if I paid for the, whatever tile, super hoopty pro subscription, it wouldn't do that. Cause I want to know, did I leave my backpack? Not at home, but like, did I get separated from it? That's an important thing. So, yeah, I like that. It's good. All yeah, right. And I actually oh. tried the, uh, I think it, you can say that something is lost. And I tried that, but it didn't work. Huh. Did it? Well, was it? I'll try it again. Yeah. Try it. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Cool. You want to uh, keep it? You're uh, on a roll. Take us to Jeremy. Yep. Yeah, Jeremy's got one here. Um I was just trying to print a site in Safari and saw that part of it was getting cut off. This appeared to be happening whether I did an actual print or just printed to PDF. Not what I wanted to happen. But then I thought about Reader View. While that isn't available for all sites, it was available for the site that I wanted and it resulted in the page being able to get printed without cutting anything off. As a bonus, Reader View didn't get rid of any of the infographics on this site. Nice. Yes. Um... So that's a good tip. I, I run into that every now and then, too, is that, well, why are you rendering it wrong? <laughs> um, you know, when you see the preview uh, before you print something. Yeah, um, there, there is like a print view that that as a web designer you can set uh, and, and it can be remarkably different from what the, you know, the displayed view is. I, I've I know there is a way 
to, and it might involve a third-party app, so maybe somebody needs to tell us. Well, even if it doesn't, I don't know it. So feedback at MacGeekGab.com. But I know there's a way to say print a PDF of this web page as the web page appears in my window. Uh, and I would love to, to relearn how to do that because I've clearly forgotten over the years. Okay. And uh, a bonus tip to throw in the ring here. Um, yes, it's true. You will not always get um, the reader view option in the menu bar, or I guess the uh, URL bar. Is that what we call it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can, as far go to view show reader and force it to. Does that view. does that work even on sites that that very specifically block having a reader view? Um, I'll have to try that. I'll have to try it a few more times. But. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Cool. But yeah, let us know. I want to know how to save a PDF of what a web page looks like. So feedback at MacGeekGab.com. We'd love to. Hear oh, that. yeah. I think you're right. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's it, my friend. That is it. All right. One more quick tip. Uh, while we're on the Safari thing, listener Terry says, have you ever had the situation where you enter a single character in the address bar of Safari and you expect it to load the website you want and just hit return, but end up someplace entirely different? For example, maybe you hit F and then return thinking you're going to Facebook and yet you end up at Fishing Guides Canada or some such nonsense from last month's vacation. There is a way to clear out just a single website from your browser history to avoid this. Terry goes on. Open Safari. Click Command Y. Review the list of sites to find the offender. Right click to open the contextual menu. Select Delete. And then uh, that should do it. He says on iOS, uh, swipe left to delete. So there you go. Uh, he says now that annoying site you didn't want to go to will not autofill when you type its first character. You are welcome. Thank you, Terry. Absolutely. That's a great one. I like that. That's good. Swipe left to delete. I like it. That's good. All right. Um, all right. Should we uh, let's let's um, let's let's do some questions, shall we? Sure. All right. So uh, Allison has a question. Uh Maybe uh, Allison at a uh, potfeet.com does a, does a, a Mac podcast. I've heard of, I've heard of this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> no, she does a great job over there. Yeah. So what she says uh, on Mac OS, big Sur, my spotlight index is getting corrupted, then sorts itself out and then it corrupts again. I use it primarily as an application launcher and some days it has no trouble finding apps in the next. Uh, instead, it just shows me web searches for the same text string. On the days it works, it usually says indexing with the progress bar when I make a successful search. I know the trick about how I can put my entire drive inside system preferences, spotlight privacy, close, and then take it out again. This causes the re-indexing, and for a day or two it will work, and then it gets messed up again. I have other app launchers, but I like spotlight. Any idea what I can do? Um... The one suggestion I have, so yes, dragging something in privacy and then out again is one way, but um, you may want to try uh, some command line magic. Uh, I think that does a more thorough re-indexing. Um, and you do that by going into the terminal and typing sudo mdutil dash e and then a slash. 
and that will rebuild all spotlight data on everything. Yep. Um, and we'll put that in the show notes so that you, you don't have to, you can just copy paste from the show notes and be safe. about. Um, I mean, the other thing is if you're using spotlight mostly for an app launcher, you could, so this is my suggestion, uh, system preferences, spotlight search results. Um, maybe just choose applications as the only option there. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what did we had a, a quick tip last week, maybe a week before about using launcher, uh, as your application launcher, which I forget mm. which listener it was that I forget the name of whom, whichever of you it was who sent that in, but, um, but you can map, you know, command space bar to fire up launcher and then, uh, and then do it that way. So that, that would be another way. Cause that's only applications there. So that might do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, as I understood, like I would, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The, the way it was explained to me years ago was that by putting it into, you know, it privacy and taking it out that does cause a re-indexing, but it, it leaves the database intact. So if there is some corruption in the database or the indexes for the database, that won't necessarily get cleared out. Whereas if you use MDUtil dash E, that literally erases the spotlight index files and and forces a rebuild. So uh, so it's it's a it's a little more, uh, uh, you know, it's the shotgun approach, but. If you truly want to, you know, blow away those indexes and force them to be rebuilt, it's not so bad. And on SSDs these days, uh, indexes tend to get rebuilt pretty efficiently. Um, so and don't don't like crush your operating system performance while they're doing it, usually. So cool. More on that. Or are we uh, good to go to Bill? I think we're good. All right. Bill says, I need some clarification about the consequences of resetting network settings on my iPhone. I recently had to reset network settings on my 12 Pro running 14.6 while troubleshooting with Apple, uh, some cell phone data problems. While I knew that the immediate impact would be to lose all my Wi-Fi passwords, I thought that they would repopulate over time as they synced back down from iCloud, as my iCloud account generally shares passwords between all my devices. In fact, I think you mentioned something like this in a recent episode. However... That has not been my experience. I lost all of my Wi-Fi passwords, not only on my iPhone, but also on my iPad. Nothing restored from iCloud. However, both my iMac and my MacBook Pro retained their Wi-Fi settings. They never lost their connection, and I can see many networks, including those now gone from my two iOS devices in network preferences. The iPhone user guide does user guide does say that all network settings are removed. In addition, the device name assigned in settings general about is reset to iPhone and manually trusted certificates such as for websites are changed to untrusted. I was unaware of the phone's name being wiped out, but he says I noticed it by chance when going in to connect to a hotspot. I have since renamed my phone. Bottom line, what's the scoop? What did iOS devices, why did iOS devices lose Wi-Fi settings, but macOS devices did not? When should iCloud repopulate my Wi-Fi information, if ever? Uh, He says, I'll be re-entering Wi-Fi passwords at family and friends' houses all over the country for the foreseeable future. That's frustrating. I, you know, I I can't say that my experience has been exactly difficult, different from yours. I, we went over to, um, for the 4th of July, we were over in Maine and, uh, 
and my uncle's Wi-Fi is actually both of my uncle's Wi-Fi. My, I have lots of family that lives right in the same area. It's actually kind of awesome. It's a long story that started with my great grandfather deciding that he wanted family to have a place to get together and, and somehow magically like made that lesson infuse that lesson in the family all the way down. Anyway, uh, two of my three uncles houses and Wi-Fi Wi-Fi networks, um, aunts and uncles houses, uh, have, I set up their Wi-Fi, And so like the passwords definitely haven't changed, but I had nothing in my phone. Uh, I did have it in my Mac though. So, and I have done a reset network settings to solve that uh, battery use issue, you know, that I did a while back, but I'm sure I've done several. It's been a couple of years since I've been there. I don't know if you heard about this pandemic thing that kept us from visiting people, but you know, um, so it's, um, yeah, I I've experienced the same thing and I'm not entirely happy about it. I just figured maybe, yeah, I don't know what I figured while I was up there. I really wasn't all that focused on it. Um, I was just, you know, but when I asked my uncle his password, he was like, um, you, you know, that it, it hasn't changed. Right. I can't, I know, but I can't remember it. And he's like, why isn't it in your phone? I'm like, can we stop shame, tech shaming each other? And can you just give me the password? <laughs> and, uh, and so eventually he, he did stop tech shaming me. So, I mean, he, you know, this is the uncle that worked for BBN. He was literally there when, uh, when, oh, I can't remember the guy's name, invented email. So. Uh, Ray, Ray. Oh gosh. Email. Why can't I remember email? Wasn't it Ray Tomlinson? Is that the right name coming to me? I think so. Tomlinson. Yes. Ray Tomlinson. I got it right. Okay. Uh, but he was there, you know, when, when that happened. So, so, you know, he, he comes from a background where, where, you know, he can mm. enjoy tech shaming his, his thinks he's a techie nephew. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. I remember them. Bolt Baranek and Newman. I think it is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, they uh yeah, they were kind of a big deal with the uh internet. <laughs> In a lot of things. They were also acoustics uh engineers. Oh. It, I think I'm okay to share the story. I'm going to share it and then maybe I'll get in trouble. Um they were tasked by contracted by Mattel to solve the problem of and I forget which toy it was, but it was one of the first, you know, toys that that you pull the string and it makes a sound and it's one of several sounds and they built this toy and it couldn't, you know, it would make the sound, but people didn't know what it was saying. And so they hired Mattel was like, great, smart folks, BBN, let's go like you figure it out. And so they did figure it out. They, uh, they went through everything. They did lots of different testing, uh, acoustic stuff, but you know, the tech was, this was decades ago. Uh, the tech just wasn't quite there. You want to know what their answer was, John? I'll give you one guess. No. Um, put the phrases on the box. So once people know what they are about to hear, they hear it. No problem. Hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's what, that's what the answer was. It was brilliant, you know, but yeah, tell people what it is. So, Hey, there's, there are many ways to engineer solutions. And sometimes the human element is the one that needs to be considered. Anyway, uh, yes, Bill, back to your question. Sorry about the tangent. Hopefully that was interesting. Uh, the, I'm experiencing the same thing. So I'm not, I, unfortunately you may be right. Now the question is why are they, why are they not syncing between Macs and 
like like my Macs have them, my iPhone and iPad devices do not. So is there a is there are there two databases there that are being synced? Is there are we both experiencing a problem that's not you know? Uh, have you done a reset network settings on your phone? The problem is it's really hard. You you can't recently you can't go into your phone and see what's in its Wi-Fi list. So you there's no easy way to say are they the same? You just have to start visiting networks and see if it shows up. Right. You can only do that on the Mac side. Correct. That's that check. Correct. So we may be onto something. Other thing you may want to make sure of is so if you go into settings, click on your Apple ID, iCloud, make sure keychain is on. Good point. Yes, keychain is on, but you're right. It was iCloud keychain is sort of the, the mechanism via which uh, these passwords get shared. You're right. Yeah, I know. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know what it is. I, yeah, but, but you're right. Um, yeah, I, I, I wish I had an answer, but I don't. So geek challenge. If somebody knows more about this and can explain what both bill and I have seen, please let us know. I think we said it earlier. Feedback at mm-hmm. dot com. Yes. Yes. Feedback at Mechicup. While we're on the Wi-Fi thing, although changing gears quite a bit, we'll go to listener Jeff, who says, I have a Synology router. As discussed on a previous Mac Geekab episode, uh, I or as advised, I manually entered the Google DNS settings or DNS servers into the router. How does that work with my connected iPads, Macs, and iPhones? Does the router set DNS override what the connected devices are set at? Or do I need to set them all for Google DNS? So the answer is, you're right. Bear with me here. I'll give you the actual answer. If you leave, first of all, if you leave uh, your router's DHCP settings at, at their standard, which you probably have, like you can go and override all of these things. But if things are set pretty much normally, and yet you've... You, what, if things are set pretty much normally and on your client devices, you have not overridden any of the settings there, um, then what generally will happen is when your device gets an address fr- uh, from your router or via DHCP, your device will also be handed a DNS server, a domain name server, and Almost always, that is the address of the router. So your device uses the router as its DNS server. And then the router uses whatever DNS servers it is set to, either the default ones or, in your case, you've overridden them with Google's DNS. It uses those for its lookups. And then it usually keeps a small cache so that if, you know, multiple client devices are asking for the same thing in a in a short period of time, it just hands it out so that it doesn't have to go out to the Internet and look and obviously makes things more efficient. So in your case, if you set your router to use Google DNS and then just have your client devices connect, it's going to be fine. Uh, Just make sure you're not overriding DNS on your client devices. If you override on your client devices, it will use what you put in on each device, not what happens at the router. So does that answer your question? I hope it does. Make uh, does that make sense to you, John? Did I did I miss anything there? No, um, yeah, the, the, the thing that I'm looking for here is how do you, from the command line, 
So if I look at my system, it has, you know, 172.16.1.1, I think. Um, okay. That's your router's address. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Now I'm trying to see if there's a way to list what DNS servers are in the router, and I don't think you can do that. No, oh. your Mac can't see what your router's DNS servers are. You have to do that from your router's mm -hmm. interface, either a web interface right. or an app or whatever. But yeah, your Mac doesn't know because it's, it's not handing those down. It's just handing mm -hmm. the router is handing its own address right. down. No, it's a good question. It, it, it's a great question. In fact. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Moving on. Moving on. We had, yeah. um, we might have, well, more to the saga of the IMAX startup chimes because Evidently, there are multiple, multiple members of our audience experiencing this, right? Yes. Let me let me get rich up here. Okay. Yeah, this is weird. How this um, this problem is is rearing its ugly head in multiple places. Um, so, anyways, Rich says, uh, um. Yeah, he, he has a comment about the Muffle startup chime. He just got an M1 iMac um, 16 slash 500. Okay. Uh, after trading in my 2017 27-inch iMac, the old iMac was having issues that I wasn't confident Apple had resolved, so I took the opportunity to get the new one at a reasonable trade-in uh, veterans discount. Oh, okay. Nice. I didn't know they had a veterans discount. That's a good tip. Uh, if you didn't know, yeah, I didn't know that either. That's a good tip. Yeah, I mean, I know they have government, uh, yeah. educational, and corporate discounts, but um, okay, it's nice that they offer a veterans discount. Um, I knew to pay the old iMac once while troubleshooting, and now the new iMac again, so I've spent a lot of time just getting up and running, and I don't want to replace the computer if Apple even offered to. Everything about the new iMac works fine except for somewhat muffled chime i thought that maybe i left the wrapping plastic over the speakers music sounds fine but certainly not as good as when i had a small 2.1 speaker system hooked up to it short of returning the computer do you think this is an isolated glitch in the software is it a harboring or other issues on the motherboard um uh, the only Weird. thing is that it seems to be an ongoing and known issue with some iMacs per early reports. Um, I mean, the question is, you know, can you put up with it? Uh, assuming everything else is working. Um, but to your question, if the part of the system is working right, it could certainly be a sign of potential failure of other parts in the system. If you were in the return or warranty period for it, I'd have them... Uh, Try to make it happy. Yeah. Because, yeah, especially I remember the last, um, you know, comment, um, you know, they said, oh, it's a cosmetic issue. It's like, uh, no, it's not. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, cosmetic would be like, you know, a pixels out or something. Oh, well, even that. Yeah, even that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, I mean, it's not working right. Um, so it's weird that this only seems to be happening on IMAX. Well, that we've heard of, but, mm -hmm. but two very different iMacs, right? Like the first one from oh, yeah. listener, John was an Intel iMac from 2019. Mm -hmm. And then this one from listener, rich is an M one iMac, which is, I mean, like remarkably different 
in all the ways. Right? Like, mm-hmm. looks like a Mac, smells like a Mac, acts like a Mac. Underneath, yeah, they're both Macs, but they're two very different Macs. So mm-hmm. that's that's the disturbing part of this. Is I wonder, you know, you you had mused in the first time we talked about this that maybe it's a a firmware issue, like like literally maybe the sound file itself is uh you know either maybe not damaged but maybe it's gained up too high and causing the speaker mm-hmm. to distort when trying to play that particular thing back but everything else you know you control your own destiny with the volume so you don't crank things to the point mm-hmm. where they distort so i wonder if they need to you know ratchet back the gain on that startup that's weird i wonder um i need to mess with this I, really, I need to test it because I have a 2019 iMac sitting literally right in front of me. But because, as we discussed in, you know, a month or two ago, I have it set to restart on its own. I am almost never here when it starts up. So I have not heard the startup chime on this in quite some time. I'm curious if it's messed up. So I'm not going to test it right now, though, for, no. uh, for obvious <laughs> reasons. But but I'm curious to that. And, and I also want to experiment with, like, is my startup chime volume dependent on my max volume? I know there was a period of time where that was true on laptops. I'm not sure if that's true on desktops. I just haven't dug in. So I feel like there's, there's, there's a mystery to solve here and, and maybe we can help. So we'll, I'll mess around a little bit this week. I'll I'll intentionally restart my Mac here and, um, and do some testing. But if any of you do testing, I know we've said it several times, feedback at MacGeekCab.com. All right, uh, let's do, let's see. We've got some cool stuff found coming up. We've got more questions. So let's do Brian's question here. Then uh, I want to tell you about our sponsors, then we'll do some cool stuff found. How's that sound to you, John? Fantastic. Good. All right, so listener Brian uh, asks, he says, uh, I'm 1,200 miles away from my daughter who asked me to help her set up her Wi-Fi in her new apartment. I went for simplicity, and because the apartment is small, sent her an Eero Pro 6 as a router. She has Comcast, and we got the router set up fairly easily. She had her old 802.11n Airport Extreme, so I suggested that she set that up in bridge mode, cable it via Ethernet to the Eero, and use it as a time machine destination. So far, so good. I tried to have her use the old system of speeding up the backup, Uh, start the backup over Wi-Fi and give it some time, then move the time machine hard drive to the laptop and let it finish there, then move the drive back to the airport extreme. We ran into some problems with that, though, so I told her to just leave the time machine drive on the airport extreme and let time machine do its job over Wi-Fi. My question is, could I achieve similar speed up by attaching the laptop to the airport extreme via uh, via Ethernet cable? And would I need to turn off Wi-Fi on the laptop to force it to send the data over Ethernet or change the order of networks and network system preferences to make Ethernet the prime data connection. She and her roommate have a total of three MacBook Pros, some old, some fairly new, with substantial numbers of files. So any backup time saved would be much appreciated. Yeah, so I don't know that I ever had any success moving a backup from a time capsules type setup or an airport extreme setup moving a drive from that to a direct attached, the format of the way it saves files is remarkably different. If you do it over a network, it saves to a sparse bundle. If you do it to to a direct attached drive, it just puts it in a folder structure. So 
I don't know that I've ever heard of that. I, you may have, like, I may be the one out of touch here. That's totally possible. But I've never heard of that before. What I have heard of is the other thing that you suggested, and that is, um, you know, exactly uh, connecting via Ethernet. As far as making sure it go, and yes, I think that will work just fine. Uh, in fact, there's no reason to even start it over Wi-Fi. You can just start it over Ethernet. It's a network backup either way. Time Machine probably doesn't even know that it's running over Wi-Fi versus Ethernet. It knows that it's sending it over the network and the operating system takes care of the nitty gritty. So I think starting it over Ethernet would be good. Turning off Wi-Fi certainly is the safe way, especially from 1,200 miles away, to ensure that it is using the Ethernet connection. But you're right. If you set the network service order, and I highly recommend that we all do this unless you have some specific reason not to. Uh, if you're if you're in a scenario where you could use Ethernet or Wi-Fi sort of interchangeably, especially with a laptop, when you connect to Ethernet for the first time, set that as the top connection. In fact, I do that on my iMacs here, which are all Etherneted in. Wi-Fi is the secondary connection. Uh, and and I, when I say secondary, I mean, go into system preferences, go into network um, and then do there's a little. Well, it used to be a settings gear, but now it's a little dot, dot, dot gear. Uh, at the bottom of the list of devices and choose set service order and make your Ethernet connection uh, live above your Wi-Fi connection. That way, if they're both happen to be connected, you'll only send data or you'll primarily send data over Ethernet uh, if they're on the same network. If they're on different different networks, then your Mac's even smart enough to, to be able to do that. So, for example, if I'm testing a new router and configuring a router, uh, I can leave my Ethernet connected so that my iMac gets connected to the Internet. It's at the top, but I connect to the other router with Wi-Fi. And because it's different IP addresses, I can put either one into my browser and it knows where to go because it knows. And that's the beauty of of uh, of TCP IP. So, yeah, put it as the first one. You should be fine. I think I think you'd be in good shape. And then if the Ethernet connection happens to drop out, it'll fall back to Wi-Fi. And if you plug Ethernet in, it'll jump back up to Ethernet like th this is how that works. And it, it, it works fairly smoothly. Like I said, this is, this is not Apple's magic per se. This is TCP IP being implemented the way it was built to be implemented. So it is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of Apple magic in there, but, but they're just following the, the, you know, the protocol. So got any thoughts on that one, John, or are we, uh, um, when yeah. I do my, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, when I do, uh, when I create a new time machine backup, um, I actually plug into Ethernet and not Wi-Fi because it's faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Oh, it makes perfect sense. It's great. Smart. Now, the other thing um, to reduce backup time as well is just, uh, you know, take a peek. Time machine options. Um, may want to... Uh, exclude monstrously huge files. I, I do that with my time machine backups. So, um, like I'm looking here, so I do not back up my VMs mm. um, or my photo library because they're just really big files. Sure. Sure, that I'll, makes I'll sense. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll back them up when I make a clone. Okay. So, just a suggestion. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that that's actually really good advice. Yeah, yeah, fine. Back them up some way, but but to keep your time machine backups from 
ballooning too quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Isolating those out. That makes sense. All right. Cool. Uh, we got some cool stuff found to do. The next thing I want to do is tell you about our sponsors. If that works for you, Mr. Braun. Absolutely. All right. Our first sponsor today is Amazon Pharmacy. We're at Amazon.com slash MGGRX. You can start getting your medications faster, easier, simpler, and maybe even less expensively than what you're doing now. We all know how great Amazon Prime's free two-day delivery is, right? Well, Amazon Pharmacy takes advantage of that. Amazon Prime members get free two-day delivery. And like I said, you can save on prescription medication when you're paying without insurance. We've recently started using it a little bit here, and it really holds up. Like, like all the things are true. It's amazing. Arrives quickly, less expensive than other options that we had found, super easy because they link with our doctor, right? So that you, you know, your doctor just sends your prescriptions along. Of course, Amazon Pharmacy delivers it right to your door. We don't have to go anywhere to get it. Amazon Pharmacy does work with most insurance plans nationwide. You've got to check this out. Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance. And with medication as low as a dollar a month plus free two-day delivery, Learn more at Amazon.com slash MGGRX. That's Amazon.com slash MGGRX. One more time, Amazon.com slash MGGRX. Our thanks to Amazon Pharmacy for sponsoring this episode. As we all know, finances are a tricky thing these days, whether it's the rising cost of living, rising student debt, the cost of college, something near and dear to my heart with both of our children in college. And we love our kids, but there's a lot to do here, you know, and I would not want to leave my kids with the inability to finish college. For example, if something happened to me or to Lisa and on that note, It makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is super and surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? And if you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, that's a lot of money. So most of us are going to fit into that realm, right? And you just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. And since life insurance costs more as we age, well, now is the time to cross it off our list. So go to ladderlife.com slash MGG today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash MGG, ladderlife.com slash MGG, and our thanks to Ladder for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Linode. I know. We get to talk about Linode again. I love what they're doing there because we geeks are always going to need a server for something, whether it's for our development environment, you know, you need a build server, whether it's for a WordPress site you're setting up, whether it's for a Minecraft server you want to set up, whether it's for a Plex server that you want to set up in the cloud. I know it's very cool what you can do here. And Linode makes it easy because they are the server experts. Not only do they have, you know, these data centers all over the world, but they're also good at just managing servers. That's what they do. We're geeks about lots of things, 
They're geeks about managing servers. So let them be your server managing geeks. It's fantastic. They're also customer service geeks, right? They've uh, been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and Trust Radius. Uh, they've got 24 7, 365 support, human powered support. If you need help, someone will pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media. This is what they do. So you got to go check it out, especially their their marketplace where you pick like the apps that I was telling you before, the Plex and the Minecraft and the WordPress. You're going to be impressed. And, and, and when you visit lino.com slash MGG, you can create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or even just your email address. When you do that, this is where it gets great. You get $100 in credit so that you can start using your server and seeing how it works without paying anything out of pocket. No credit card required. Go check it out. Use your $100 in free credit. Visit linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash M-G-G. And our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you want to take us to you, John, you want to take us to uh, listener, John? <clears throat> Absolutely. So, um, Here's uh, something cool, I think. Um, I heard Dave talking about apps for the Apple Watch while bike riding, and you really need to check out this app. It's called Work Outdoors and measures location, altitude, heart rate, has uh, nice spectrum apps with zoom and pan on the watch. You can see a route on the map, and then every session syncs to the phone. This is the most impressive app on my watch huh. slash phone. I've had it for several years. It is rock solid highly customizable doesn't suck the life out of your watch battery and it's about six bucks that sounds pretty cool i gotta so, check this out. i've never heard of this before so workoutdoors.net yeah very cool wow i'm just looking at the uh the website for it yeah that is cool all right i will check it out i promise uh, I checked something out though, John, and that is the new pluggable USB three seven port charging hub. It's fifty bucks at Amazon. Actually, just shy of fifty bucks today. We've been talking a lot about. In fact, it was in the last episode. I think it was listener Larry. I could have that. I could have the name wrong. Was asking, you know, how do I get more USB C ports like that? Because that's a that's a thing, and. His desire was to have more USB-C ports for high-speed connections to drives, right? You know, the, 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 specifically those sorts of things. And we need to remember, I know we always say on the show, the letter for USB describes the shape of the connector. The number describes the speed. We need to remember that USB-A can do, you know, fast speeds. Not the fastest, but certainly can do five gigabit per second USB and many of the drives that we're going to want to connect, not all, but many are going to use exactly that. And so this is one of those things where looking at this hub, it is a USB 3.0 hub. So five gigs per second, you can plug your devices in it's externally powered and that's what enables it to have. It's got a 60 watt power adapter, so all seven ports have 2.4 amps of power on them, which is great. And you can, you know, you can stack these, obviously they're actually built to be a little bit stackable. Uh, you need a different power supply for each one, but you know, you can link them up if you really want and have lots of USB. But, uh, but I had, I had an old USB 2.0 hub on my Mac that I used for sort of all of the, 
extra things. I think it was a five port hub. It was fine for like my audio devices and my, my mouse and, you know, or, or my keyboard or whatever. And, uh, and I've replaced it with this. And so it's nice to have all USB three ports and not some, you know, 12 year old device sitting out there for 50 bucks. You know, now I know I can just plug in and get charged. So a cool stuff out and B let's, let's remember to be intentional about which ports we're using for what, because you don't want to necessarily waste that, you know, 10 gig USB port on a, on a device that can not go faster than a five gig or even a one gig USB port might be able to use. So just need to think about that. Good stuff. All right. Uh, any questions on, on, on that, John, any thoughts to add? I have, otherwise I'll move us on. Uh, moving on. Moving on. In the last episode, I asked for suggestions about universal remotes, John, because Harmony is, um, you know, is going away, uh, it has been discontinued. And I'm sad to report that I've only seen one email come in thus far. I may have missed one, and I'm hoping that that's true. But but one email about universal remote alternatives saddens me because there are lots of us like I, it was a topic that actually came up uh, with my nerdy uncles uh, this weekend and my nerdy family uh, that they all use harmony remotes and they're like, yeah, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. So, uh, but Kirit writes, I have been using control Four remotes for the last several years and enjoying them. I have a large home with 16 devices uh, and my control Four system serves in all the locations in the house and works with them all. Uh, but it is integrated in the smart home system. And that may be a problem for some, if you don't want to go that far, but it's very professional and integrates well with iOS. So I, I have not tested these out yet, but I'm definitely going to learn more. It looks like an interesting solution. It sort of attacks the problem a little bit differently than the Harmony remotes did. But, um, but you know, seems like a good platform. So at least there's that. Hopefully there's more. Thank you for that, Kirit. Good stuff. Please send in your suggestions, though. If you're using a universal remote that you like that you could still buy today, let us know. Feedback at MacGeekHub.com. <laughs> what do you got, John? Um, uh, we got a quick one here from, uh, from Gary. Okay. Hi, Gary. Uh, this is amazing, if true. <laughs> um, uh, and he uh, leads us to a website that I've actually used before, tinai.com. Uh, I guess the best way to uh, describe it is a reverse image search. Okay. Um, you paste an image into it or submit it a, um, or give it a URL to an image, and it will then um, tell you where that image came from. Okay. Um, I found the best use for this is fact-checking. Um. Every now and then you'll see somebody make a post and they'll post like, you know, a, a, a picture of, oh, the crowds at this or that event. Look at them. Isn't that amazing? And um, I've had cases where I'm like, um, I don't know if I believe that. And so if you do a reverse image search with Tineye, it'll show you where the image of the crowds came from. Uh -huh. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to do that. Um, Images.google.com is also another site where you can do this sort of thing. You can just upload an image. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And then it'll show you what other sites that image is on. And uh, it can be enlightening. I use it. Um, we use it internally here at TMO. I guess you don't publish a ton of articles, but we use it here at TMO. If we're going to use a, an image and we don't know the source of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, we get a lot of things from like we have a subscription with Shutterstock so that we know that we're using licensed images and things like that. But if we don't know if somebody sends us something and we want to make sure that like they realistically had the the, you know, the rights to extend those rights to us. We just throw it quick into Google image search and then you can see, all right, where else has this image been used? And if it's clearly from a source that's not, you know, where you thought it was, well, then, you know, you can make sure you're doing the right thing. So, yeah, fascinating. It's also interesting if you have your own images uh, that you've created, put those into Google image search and see where people are using your stuff. Um, So, yeah, it's there's lots of. Lots of interesting things. You also find similar images, which can be helpful if you're looking for a larger version of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you grabbed something from somewhere again, you know, with no intention of using it for commercial purposes. But, you know, you want to share an image with family or something and you realize, oh, I've got a thumbnail of this thing that looks terrible. I wish I had the large version. Tin Eye or Google Image Search can, you know, find you that same image. But look, here's a 4000 pixel version of it. Like, enjoy. So. It can be handy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I sometimes do that when, yeah, when posting articles, sometimes um, it's frustrating to write an article because the not every vendor has a very good press section. Sure. <laughs> like I find the thing that's frustrating for me is, I try to find an image that has a white background and I can't find it. And it's like, Ugh. yeah. So sometimes I'll use this and yeah, it'll, it'll find uh, a version that makes a better looking article. Uh, I, I will also throw into the ring an app that I could not live without. And that is Pixelmator pro. Uh, if you've ever been frustrated by trying to learn Photoshop, use Pixelmator pro. Uh, it like it's so much simpler than anything else I've ever tried and arguably so much more powerful than even Photoshop. Seriously, like this is a world class photo editing app. And uh, and I I couldn't do what we do without it. It's what I use to create like all the artwork that you see in our, you know, our our Mac Geek Gab images. I do that with it. But that's such a simple use. But there are times when I need to either remove or replace the background color in an image to make it fit better, you know, in, in an article and Pixelmator pro man, like that is the key to it. And there's so they've got so many features that, that leverage ML machine learning. Now that they're like resizing an image. I can re they've got, it's magic, man. I can resize an image up and it retains its quality in like so many weird cases that I would never expect it to be able to do this. So it's and it's just I don't know I find it super intuitive so uh, and you can go get a free trial and everything so I highly recommend it. Um, it was it was not on my list of cool stuff found but boy howdy is it one of those apps that I couldn't live without so I highly recommend it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Are we good on this? Should we uh, keep moving here? Mm-hmm. All right, uh, listener Gary, different Gary, sends in. Uh, he says I was listening to the latest MGG and you were talking about phone cases and screen protectors. For people who don't like bulky cases, like my younger brother, you should check out Later Case. 
They make their cases out of Kevlar, but also say they aren't military tested and so on. So they don't come and they don't come with a screen protector. One thing, maybe they are military tested. I'm not sure what he meant by that. Anyway, uh, one thing they do differently is that unlike other phone cases where they have the whole camera square cut out, these guys only cut out the lenses, the LED flash and the LiDAR sensor uh, in the case of a phone like a 12 Pro Max that has a LiDAR sensor. They're also prescient. Uh, they they also uh, have cutouts where the volume switch power speakers are, etc. for each phone. Got it. OK, yeah. So they, they, they get that right. But yeah, it looks like a really sort of slim protective case. It's latercase.com, L-A-T-E-R case.com. And you can see how they do. They. They sort of mold right around the, the the camera lenses and really sort of protect the edges of those. These are sharp looking cases. That's interesting. I like that. Nice. Kevlar being the material that I believe the bulletproof vests are made out of. Right? I, I, I think that, that that's what I think of it as. Yeah. I don't know if they still make bulletproof vests out of Kevlar, but it would make sense. Like, why not? Yeah. Sure. So, uh, so you get a bulletproof phone. That's nice. That's that's nice. Yeah, man. Hey, you know, you never know. Stop bullets with it. I don't know that. I don't they know if they say, advertise that. Right. That's 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 our words, not theirs. So yeah, yeah. Best of luck to you if you're in a scenario where that matters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't have it on, so I can't show it on the video right now. But my next cool stuff found is the uh, the Golden Concepts Apple Watch bands. I'll call them Apple Watch bands, but they really are cases. Um, that have a band attached, you know, me, I love my, uh, mechanical watches. I'm, I'm, I'm into that whole thing. And these folks at golden concept have sort of taken the luxury watch look and applied it to the Apple watch. Uh, the cases that I've seen from them, and this, I think this is their first round of cases really have sort of the, the, des- uh, a design language that reminds me of Hublot's watches. If anybody knows what those look like, they have, you see sort of the screws on the outside of the case, uh, but, but very elegant. And I, I, I wore this for, uh, I don't know, about a week and a half. And then I was doing some other things and didn't want to have a gold watch case on my Apple watch. So I, I went back to my other one, but you pop the watch into the case and then it's got the band around it. So it does make it pretty chunky. But um, but that, you know, that's a look and that is that Hublot look, too. So it kind of makes sense that that it all sort of fits into that that realm. Um, I don't think they have anything to do with Hublot. I'm just using that as a descriptor for anybody that that follows that world. But they're like um, it was like 700 bucks, uh, I think, is what the retail is on the cage that they sent me to test. And I, I actually liked it. It was comfortable, it has a, a deployant clasp on it. So it you know holds on your wrist nicely. Putting the watch in was really interesting. You, you, you twist it over and, and take the, the back off with, a, with four screws and then put the watch in this like little rubber sleeve so that it, it doesn't get scratched by the metal case. And you're not, you know, scratching the metal case either. The one problem with it is that because it's all inside of this case, uh, the uh, ECG sensor on the watch is not available for you to touch. So you cannot effectively do an ECG on your watch with, uh, with it in one of these, but they say that they're working on that. So it's cool. So if you're into that kind of thing, uh, you probably going to love what they're doing over there. It's worth checking out golden concepts. I think it's just golden concepts, uh, dot, golden concept, sorry.com. All right. That's what I got. You got any other cool stuff found or should we, uh, should we jump to, uh, some more questions and things like that, John? 
Let's uh, let's jump. Let's jump. It's jump time. Um, I wanted to share our. Uh, I you know I I moved to, um, fiber. I had consolidated put fiber in my neighborhood. I mentioned that a couple of months ago, and I moved to it, and it has been rock solid. I've maintained my Comcast connection here just to have as a backup. Uh, but um, other than there was one day, actually, I think. Those little problems that we had where the the show, like our connection dropped out one or two weeks in a row while we were doing the show, or maybe it dropped out once or twice in the middle of the same episode. I think that might have been a consolidated issue. The next week they had like a, it wasn't a full outage, but it was a day of really, really slow connection. And so I, I plugged in the, the Comcast router and used it that day. You know, it's brand, it's not just brand new to me. It's brand new to the entire area here. So that's why I kept the Comcast thing around uh, for a little while it was just in case to have that backup. I very specifically did not wire it up. My router will let me do a uh, a fallback. And I initially very specifically did not wire it up that way because I wanted to know that how well I could rely on this consolidated thing. Plus, like even in our scenario where where that, uh, you know, where I had that outage that a fallback wouldn't have saved us like, you know, cause you, you needed, you need to like reconnect and all that stuff. But, um, but I did run into an issue, John. And that was, we have, we still have Comcast for our cable, you know, on the TV. And, um, we have a smart TV, an LG smart TV in the living room. And that does not have our Comcast box, but it has the Xfinity stream app on it. So if we want to do anything via our Comcast DVR, we just run the Xfinity stream app and it's fine. And the Xfinity DVR is up in the bedroom because they force us to have one. And so we just put it up in the bedroom. It's fine. But I do tell it to record some things. It's sort of a backup for the TiVo at times. And we wanted to watch something that TiVo, for whatever reason, hadn't recorded. And I'm like, oh, no problem. And so I launched the Xfinity stream app and it says you need to be connected to your Comcast Wi-Fi for this to work. And then it hit me that Comcast DVR does not connect to the internet via my house. It connects like it does not connect to my home Wi-Fi. It just has a coax connection coming into it. And, you know, it gets its internet from Comcast over the coax because why not? And so it hit me. I'm like, wait, this doesn't know that we're in the same house. It fact, it doesn't know. It couldn't know that we're in the same house. It might be able to know we're in the same town, but because my TV gets its internet from, um, from, uh, uh, from consolidated, it's saying, oh yeah, this device isn't on, on an, coming from an IP that, that is Comcast. And so I'm not going to let you connect to your DVR. And I thought, well, by golly, we're going to solve this problem because it's not okay. I pay for Comcast internet. And so I started thinking and I'm like, okay, well, my router will let me have both connected. So I immediately wired that up and I did set it up with a fallback. Now that I know that I can trust consolidated, although I'll probably be canceling Comcast internet soon anyway, um, because I don't need it. And, uh, although for this purpose I might. And so I, um, I thought, okay, I can set routing tables. And so what I did was I, I wired up the Comcast internet as the fallback and set it that way. So nothing on the network will use it unless I literally unplug the, the consolidated thing. And then I went into the routing tables and said, okay, I gave my TV a fixed IP address. And I said, everything that comes from this IP address route to that interface that is plugged into the Comcast, not the main interface or don't, you know, use the fallback pattern. 
and boom, it worked. I was able to get my Comcast internet, no problem, or Comcast TV with Xfinity Stream, no problem, and all good. And then, so that that was a nice little problem to solve. With that knowledge, I was helping my daughter set up her new college apartment, and she has a smart TV. And they have internet from Comcast, but they don't pay for TV from Comcast. Uh, and But she has the Xfinity Stream app on her TV. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If I log in to the Xfinity Stream app on her TV, ain't no way that thing's going to know because she's in the same town. It's just like, you know, two miles away. It's probably going to just let me connect to my DVR. Sure enough, connected to my DVR. No problem. So I also set up, then I went crazy, John. I set up a separate router for my, that I plug my Comcast cable modem into. And that router is another Synology router. It's the old 1900 AC, but um, the Wi-Fi is actually the Wi-Fi might be on, on it, but it doesn't matter. I set up a VPN server on it. So that if I'm ever out and I want to connect to my Comcast thing, I can network in that way and now have a Comcast IP here in Durham, New Hampshire or wherever they would assign it to that would let me uh, attach to that stuff. So this is all just an exercise in geekery because I'm probably going to cancel my Comcast service anyway. I'm also thinking of canceling my TV service, John, and going to YouTube TV. Hmm. It would mean giving up TiVo. That That's the hmm. biggest issue that I would have. But um, YouTube TV's DVR is really good. So, and it would let me use it anywhere. I think you can have five devices attached at any one time. So my kids could use it in college. Uh, it might be the way to go. So I've, I've been thinking about that too. I don't know. Have you messed with YouTube TV at all? No. Okay. Yeah. It's it. I know, I know quite a few people that are using it and it seems to be a good way to go. So yeah, I don't know. I have on the order probably about 10 shows that I watch uh, via cable. Mm -hmm. So um, not in any rush to get off of a cable, well, but cable that's, TV. That's just the thing. YouTube TV would get you all of those shows. It brings you your broadcast hmm. channels. That's yeah. No, that's the thing about YouTube TV is it 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 replaces your cable and and brings you all mm. your local broadcast channels and all of that stuff. And again, a DVR that is, you know, cloud based mm. and and, you know, uses YouTube servers and all that stuff. So, mm. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's cheap, man. Like, I think it's I want to say it's 50 bucks a month, but I think I'm wrong on that. There's 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 different levels of it. I've just started looking into this. Mm. I know. Right. That's what I'm saying is like works with your smart TVs um, and Brian 8944 in the chat room is saying there are a few competitors to YouTube TV that may be cheaper and offer a similar product such as slings products. Yeah. Okay. So it's 65 bucks a month. Normally they've got a special that I'm seeing on their website right now. That's 55 for your first three months, 55 a month for your first three months. But um yeah, I'll put a I'll put a link to YouTube TV in the in the show notes. It's because yeah, you know, um, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to hear about anybody's experience with either YouTube TV or like like war. Uh, sorry, that Brian eighty nine forty four said it's competitors. So, um, because there's it, there's we don't have to have our uh, we don't have to have our our cable anymore. So. To get to get the it's the broadcast channels, right? I mean, it really, it's sports that um, 
that is the thing that drives this. I mean, the show, the 10 shows, if you're not watching sports, the 10 shows that you watch, John, could probably be gotten via, you know, buying individual networks, streaming packages. Oh, but, and actually sometimes, yeah, every now and then the TiVo doesn't get it right. The schedule's wrong or something like that. Um, and frequently I'm able to find the episode that I missed online somewhere, yeah. either streaming it the next day from a web browser or like, for example, CW has an app right. and, uh, most of their stuff, um, they let you stream for free yeah, just by running their app. So, um, I don't know. I'm just comfortable with cable and my TV. Sure. Show, so, oh, of course. Well, no, that's <laughs> and I the mean, TiVo also where, of course, like you, I got the you know lifetime subscription. Right. Right. For that. But, yeah, but the price that you're paying for cable, and and I mean, don't yes. get me wrong, I get it. That's how they get yeah. us, right? Like m- momentum is a powerful thing. And especially, especially with, with something like this, like, even though we're nerds here, we don't necessarily want to have to be troubleshooting things when it's time to sit down and watch a show on TV. So mm. the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it policy really does apply <laughs> even for us nerds in that scenario. I just, I want to be able to like, if that's going to be my wind down time, then that's what I want. Mm. And, um, but y- you know, so Moving to but so moving to this is it's a friction point, right? But my guess is you're paying a lot more than sixty five bucks a month for for what you're doing, um, and that's mm-hmm. especially true for us now because we're not using. I mean, we are paying for Comcast Internet. I ratcheted it down to like the slowest service they would sell me, just mm-hmm. to have as a backup. But um, but it's gotten to the point where I don't need it. So um, so yeah, it's interesting. There's there's solutions here. All right. Where are we here on time? Oh, we still got more time. Uh, you want to take us to Sean, John? Oh, sure. All right. Um, all right. Sean, in the earlier episode, had a question about, uh, let's see, he was, he was trying to uh, upgrade a machine to Big Sur, and it wasn't working. Okay. And so... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I wasn't seeing the partition, so uh, I offered a suggestion, and he uh, he basically got back to me and uh, uh, followed the four steps where I said, where he says, I cloned, erased, installed, and restored. Success. Great success. Great success. Yeah. Clone- As Borat would say. That's right. Great success. So, Clone, erase, format. Wait, what was that again? Say that again. Cloned, erased, installed, and restored. Cloned, erased, installed, and restored. I like it. Okay. I like it. That's good. So clone, erase, install. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So my conclusion is that, yeah, there was something in the partition or volume table or whatever you want to call it that was screwed up on the destination. Yeah. So. And this was a an Intel iMac, correct? Twenty nineteen. So yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. Interesting. All right. I like it. So thank you, Sean. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good to know. And it's that those those that four step process: clone, erase, install, restore. <laughs> uh, no, I, that that's like there's there's magic to that right there. I like <laughs> it. Good. Good. 
All right, let's see. What else do we have here, John? Any other fun little things? Um, let's see. Yeah, 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 yeah. You went into you. Let's do Eddie. Okay, where, where, where? Eddie is in. Uh, ah, is in right. Evernote. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know I'm jumping us around, but it's got an he's got a messages issue, and so yeah. Oh boy, hate these. Um. All right, so let's see. So, um, hello, Dave, John, and maybe soon Pilot Pete again. Um, I have an issue logging into messages on my second-gen 11-inch iPad Pro. For some reason, I was logged out, not through anything I knowingly did, of messages. And I'm getting the um, uh, exclamation point, red exclamation point icon on the messages app. When I open the app, I get the login to messages pop-up. See attached uh, screenshot with the account pre-populated asking for my password. If I fill in my password, it turns for a bit and then seemingly does nothing. If I go to the app in settings, it says verifying at the top and basically lops up the settings app. All I can do is swipe up and quit. I tried a couple of reboots. I did the first one when I found the pop-up asking for the password just in case it was sort of me in the middle attack with no change. All my other computers, iPhone, and services on this iPad sign into this account are working fine. Any suggestions? Um, every now and then I have issues with messages. Um, I mean, my suggestion would be that logging out of and back into iCloud would be one thing that may help. Yeah. Um, Another thought is that the password data that you're accessing may be corrupted. So assuming you're using iCloud Keychain, um, settings, Apple ID, iCloud Keychain, maybe turning that on and off again may help. Um, and then the last thing, although extreme and time-consuming, would be to do a restore on the device. Right, right. Huh. I wonder... Restore, restore from a backup, um, you know... Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's some corrupt data somewhere. It's just, you know, how, how do we get to the point where we can clear it out? So I think the steps that I... Yeah, I I actually, I agree with your steps. I, I think the sign out of iCloud and sign back in and maybe even sign out of iCloud, wait five minutes, restart the, the iPad, you know, power it off, turn it back on, sign back in I think that would fix it with the least amount of hassle. Uh, the, the one step I would insert sort of after that and before the wipe it and restore would be to change your iCloud password. It sounds like it's not able to log in and I'm guessing the problem is localized to your iPad, which is why I think the sign out of iCloud and sign back in, uh, would be the right way to go. However, if it is some sync issue with the password database on Apple's end, change your password, force it to, you know, repopulate on their end and then bring it back in. I, again, I, I mean, that's a little bit of a hail Mary in that, you know, it's like the pre hail Mary. Like I don't want to have to go and do the terrible thing of wiping my device. So let's at least rule out that it's this, cause it would stink to, wipe the whole thing and have the same problem. Right. So that would, that would be, that would be the only thing I could think of. Otherwise. Yeah, man, I'm with you. All right. Well, it's been fun, but, uh, 
all good things, my friends, must <laughs> must come to their logical end. And we are at our logical end here, or at least our temporal end. But it's not a yep. it's not an end, it's a pause. We will wrap this episode up nicely, mm-hmm. cleanly. Quite well. It's been I'll, fun. I'll say. It's been real. But it hasn't been real fun. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, it has been real fun. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking everything out. Make sure, please, 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 please. We talked about YouTube early in the episode, and it reminded me. Please go subscribe to our YouTube channel. I know. Everybody asks you that. But really, it's uh, we're doing a lot of stuff over there, and I would love to have you over there with us. I would love to have your feedback on what we're doing. Uh, You know, having the little compartmentalized uh, segments of the show really seems to be taking off over there. Uh, we won't stop doing the big show. You know, that's that's how we get the little compartmentalized segments. It's it's actually really kind of nice to be able to do it both ways. So uh, we'd love to uh, to have you over there and, and helping us out. And really, the one thing. So this is actually the second thing. I say it's the one thing. This will be the main thing that I would ask. Share the show with your friend. Pick one friend. Tell them about the show. You can pick two if you want. Uh, you know, but uh, but pick one friend. Share the show with them. We would love that can be on social media. It can be, you know, wherever, via email, whatever. It can be in person if you want. But share the show with somebody. That's really, truly our best way of uh, of growing what we're doing here. And, and and now we've given you little things. Like, you could take the little snippets from this episode that we're going to put out and share those with a friend. Like, that's super valuable. Because maybe your friend doesn't want to listen to, you know, an hour and 15 minutes of, of us doing this. They don't know yet that they want to listen to an hour and 15 minutes of us doing this. So share the little snippets, show them how great it is, and then maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to bring them into the Mac Geek Cab family. We would be ever so thankful. Forever so thankful. All right. Uh, oh, Brian8944 did just send us a link for comparing, um, from a guy named Clark Howard, comparing uh, live streaming TV. So I will retroactively go put that mm. that in the show notes here, too. So thanks, Brian8944. All right, John, you got anything to share with them before it's uh, time to play the outro music? All good. All right. Thanks, folks. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for checking out our sponsors. Of course, Amazon.com slash MGGRX, LadderLife.com slash MGG, and Linode.com slash MGG. Of course, MacGeekCab.com slash sponsors always has those links and lots more for you, too. Share that if you like as well. Lots of coupons there. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for everything. Thanks for sharing the show with your friends. And uh, thanks for making sure you spend a little extra effort for yourself this week so that you don't get caught. Made up.